Chapter 5 of Little Stories of Married Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria de Fatima da Silva. Little Stories of Married Life by Mary Stuart Cutting. The Happiest Time. Aren't you coming to church with me this morning? Well, not this morning, I think, Patty. You said you would. Yes, I know I did, but I have a slight cold. I don't think it would be best for me, really, Patty. I've been working pretty hard this week. Mr. Bell more carefully deposited a pile of newspapers beside his armchair upon the floor of the little library, removing and opening the top layer for perusal as he spoke his eyes already glued to the headlines. A quiet day will do me lots of good. I'll tell you what it is. I'll promise to go with you next Sunday, if you say so. You always promise you'll go next Sunday, Mrs. Belmore, a brown-haired, clear-eyed young woman, in a blue and white spotted morning gown, looked doubtfully, yet with manifest yielding at her husband. Mr. Belmore presented the radiantly clean and peaceful aspect of the man who has risen at nine o'clock instead of the customary seven, and bathed and dressed in the sweet unhurried calm that belongs only to the first day of the week, poking dilatorily among chiffonier drawers, discovering hitherto forgotten garments in his closet, and leisurely fumbling over a change of shirt studs before coming down to consume the breakfast kept waiting for him. "'Of course I know it's your only day at home,' Mrs. Belmore reverted to her occupation of deftly setting the chairs in their rightful places and straightening the books on the tables. "'I suppose I ought to insist on your going, when you promised, but still—' She gave a sigh of relinquishment. "'I suppose you do need the rest,' she added. We can have a nice afternoon together anyway. You can finish reading that story aloud, and we'll go out and take a good look at the garden. I think the beans were planted too close under the pear tree last year. That was the reason why they didn't come up right. Edith Barnes and Alan Wilson are coming out from town after dinner for the rest of the day, but that won't make any difference to us. What? Now, Herbert, how could I help asking them? You know the boarding house she and her mother live in. Edith never gets a chance to see him alone. They're saving up now to get married. They've been engaged a year. So he can't spend any more money for theatres and things, and they just have to walk and walk the streets unless they go visiting, and they've been almost everywhere, Edith says. She wrote and asked me to have them for this Sunday. He's been away for a whole week somewhere up in the state. I think it's pathetic. In the warmth of explanation, Mrs. Belmore had unwittingly removed the pile of newspapers from the floor to an ottoman at the further end of the room. Edith says she knows it's the happiest time of their lives, and she does want to get some of the benefit of it. Poor girl. What do they want to be engaged for, anyway? Herbert, how ridiculous! 
you are the most unreasonable man at times for a sensible one that i ever laid my eyes on why did we want to be engaged that was different mr belmore's tone conveyed a permanent satisfaction with his own case if every woman were like you petty i never could stand edith she's one of your clever girls there's something about her that always sets my teeth on edge as for wilson oh wilson's just a usual kind of a fool like myself hello where are my newspapers and what in thunder makes it so cold you don't mean to say you've got the window open mrs belmore had a habit of airing the rooms in the morning which her husband approved of theoretically and combated intensely in practice after the window was banged shut she could hear him rattling at the furnace below to turn on an extra flow of heat before settling down once more in comfort although the april sun was bright there was still a chill in the air she looked in upon him gowned and bonneted for church sweet and placid of mien followed by two little girls brave in their sunday best all big hats and ribboned hair and little starchy ruffles showing below their brown coats mrs belmore stooped over her husband's chair to kiss him good-bye you won't have to talk to edith and alan at all she said as if continuing the conversation from where they had left off all we have to do is to let them have the parlor or the library they'll entertain each other oh don't you bother about that now go ahead or you'll be late and don't forget to say your prayers for me too that's right always go to church with your mother girlies i wish you were going too mrs belmore looked at her husband lingeringly i wish i were petty said mr belmore with a prompt mendacity so evidently inspired by affection that his wife condoned it at once she thought of him more than once during the service with generous satisfaction in his comfortable morning she wished she had thought it right to remain at home too as she did sometimes but there were the children to be considered but she and herbert would have the afternoon together and take part of it to see about planting the garden a plot twenty feet square in the rear of the suburban villa the sunday visit to the garden was almost a sacrament they might look at it on other days but it was only on sunday beginning with the early spring that husband and wife strolled around the little patch together first planning where to start the summer crop of vegetables and afterwards watching the green things poking their spikes up through the mold and growing growing he did the planting and working in the long light evenings after he came home while she held the papers of seeds for him but it was only on sunday that he could really watch the green things grow and learn to know each separate leaf intimately and count the blossoms on the beans and the cucumbers from the pure pleasure of the first radish through all the various wiltings and shrivelings incident to amateur gardening in summer deluge and drought to the triumphant survival of tomato plants and cucumber vines running riot over everything in the fall of the year the little garden played its old part as paradise to these two who became more fully one in the watching of the miracle of growth when they gathered the pears from the little tree in the corner of the plot before the frost 
and picked the few little green tomatoes that remained on the dwindling stems it was like a gardenering a store of peaceful happiness every stage of the garden was a romance mrs belmore could go to church without her husband but to have him survey the garden without her would have been the touch beyond it must be horrid anyway she thought to have to go every morning into town in those smoky cars and crowded ferry boats just to run into town twice a week tired her out now he would have finished the paper now little dorothy would have come in red-cheeked from her walk to kiss daddy before her nap now he must be pottering around among his possessions and looking out for her she knew so well how he would look when he came to the door to meet her the sudden sight of either one to the other always shed a reflected light like the glow of the sun it was with a feeling of wonder that she marked its disappearance after a brief gleam as he not only opened the door but came out on the piazza to greet her and closed it behind him there in there edith and allan he pointed over his shoulder with his thumb i thought they weren't coming until after dinner why they weren't well they're in the parlor just the same came out over an hour ago great scott i wish i'd gone with you i'm worn out you don't mean to say you've stayed with them all the time mrs belmore looked scandalized i should say i had i couldn't lose them whichever room i went to they followed at least she did and he came after i went from pillar to post i give you my word petty but edith had me by the neck she never let go her grip for an instant they won't speak to each other you see only to me i haven't had a chance to even finish the paper i've had the juice of a time i don't know what you are going to do about it never mind it will be all right now said mrs belmore reassuringly she pushed past him into the parlor where sat a tall straight girl with straight light brows a long straight nose and a straight mouth with a droop at the corners in the room beyond a thick-set dark young man with glasses and a nervous expression was looking at pictures it did not require solomon to discover at a glance how the land lay if mrs belmore had counted easily on her powers of conciliation she was disappointed this time after the dinner whereat the conversation was dragged laboriously around four sides of a square except when the two little girls made some slight diversion and the several futile attempts when the meal was over to leave the lovers alone together mrs belmore resigned herself perforce to the loss of her cherished afternoon it's no use we'll have to give up the reading she said to her husband rapidly in one of her comings and goings perhaps later dear but it's really dreadful here we've been talking of religion and beetroot sugar and smallpox when anyone can see that her heart is breaking i think he is getting the worst of it said mr belmore impartially oh it won't hurt him well you've given them plenty of opportunities to make up yes but he doesn't know how she added in a louder tone you take mr wilson up to your den for a while herbert ethel and i are going to have a cosy little time with the children aren't we dear 
have a cigar said mr belmore as the two men seated themselves comfortably in a couple of wooden armchairs in the sunny little apartment hung with a miscellaneous collection of guns swords and rods the drawing of a bloated trout and a dusty pair of antlers thank you i am not smoking now said mr wilson with a hungry look at the open box on the table beside him oh said his host genially so you're at that stage of the game well i've been there myself you have my sympathy but this won't last you know does your wife like smoking loves it said mr belmore sinking the fact of his official limit to four cigars a day that is of course she thinks it's a dirty habit and unhealthy and all that sort of thing you know but it doesn't make any difference to her not a pin's worth cheer up old fellow you'll get to this place too looks like it said the other bitterly here i haven't seen her for a week i came two hundred miles on purpose yesterday and now she won't even look at me i don't know what's the matter haven't the least idea and i can't get her to tell me i have to be off tomorrow at seven o'clock too i call it pretty hard lines let me see said mr belmore judiciously knitting his brows as if burrowing into the past as he smoked perhaps i can help you out what have you been writing to her telling her all about what you've been doing and just sending your love at the end they don't like that you know mr wilson shook his head no upon my soul i've done nothing but tell her how i how i was looking forward to oh hang it belmore the letters have been all right i know that mm, said mr belmore there's got to be something back of it you know seen any girls since you've been gone mr wilson hastened to shake his head more emphatically than before not one he asseverated with the relief of complete innocence didn't even meet a soul i knew except brower you remember dick brower i went into a jeweller's to get my glasses mended and found him buying a souvenir spoon for his fiancee oh said mr belmore intelligently and did you buy a present for edith no i didn't she made me promise not to buy anything more for her she thinks i'm spending too much money and that i ought to economize and did you tell her about brower why of course i did as we were coming out this morning mr wilson stared blankly at his friend champ said mr belmore he bit off the end of a new cigar and threw it away wilson my poor fellow you're so besotted in ignorance that i don't know how to let the light in on you a man is a fool by the side of his fiancee anyhow i don't know what you mean said the bewildered wilson stiffly i don't know what i'm to do no of course you don't but edith does you can just trust her for that a girl always knows what a man ought to do she can give him cards and spades and beat him every time then why doesn't she tell me what she wants i asked her to particularly oh no she'll tell you everything the opposite that is half the time she'll put every obstacle possible in your way to see if you're man enough to walk over them that's what she wants to find out if you're man enough to have your own way in spite of her and of course if you aren't you're an awful disappointment are you sure said mr wilson deeply after an awestruck pause half the time you say but how am i to find out when she means i give you my word belmore that i thought 
I suppose I could have brought her a small present, anyway, in spite of what she said. A souvenir spoon, but she hates souvenir spoons. You'll have to cipher it out for yourself, old man, said Mr. Belmore. I don't set out to interpret any woman's moods. I only give you cold, bare facts. But if I were you, he added impartially, I'd go down after a while and try and get her alone, you know, and say something. You can if you try. A swish of skirts outside of the open door made Mr. Wilson jump forward as Mrs. Belmore came in sight with her friend. The latter had her arm around the older woman, and her form drooped toward her as they passed the two men. The eyes of the girl were red, and her lips had a patient quiver. Mr. Wilson gave an exclamation and sprang forward as she disappeared in the further room. It was some hours later that the husband and wife met unexpectedly upon the stairs with a glad surprise. "'You don't mean to say it's you alone,' he whispered. "'Wait, is she coming up?' They clutched each other spasmodically as they listened to the sound of a deflecting footstep. There was a breathless moment, and then the chords of a funeral march boomed forth upon the air. The loud pedal was doing its best to supplement those long and strenuous fingers. The listeners breathed a sigh of relief. "'He's gone to the station for a timetable,' whispered the husband with a delighted grin. "'Though I can stand him all right. We had a nice walk with the little girls after he got tired of playing hide-and-seek. I wished you were with us. You must be about used up. How are you getting along with her?' Oh, pretty well, she let herself be drawn down on the hall window seat at the top of the landing. You see, Edith really feels dreadfully, poor girl. What about? Herbert, she isn't really sure that she loves him. Isn't sure? After they've been engaged for a year? That's just it. She says if they had been married out of hand in the first flush of the novelty, she wouldn't have had time, perhaps, to have any doubts. But it's the seeing him all the time that's made her think. Made her think what? Whether she loves him or not, whether they are really suited. I remember that I used to feel that way about you, dear. Oh, you know, Herbert, it's a very serious thing for a girl. She says she knows her whole life is at stake. She thinks about it all the time. How about his? Well, that's what I said, admitted Mrs. Belmore. She says that she feels that he is so rational and self-poised that she makes little difference in his life either way. It has come to her all at once. She says his looking at everything in a matter-of-fact way just chills her. She longs for a whole-souled enthusiasm that can sweep everything before it. She feels that if they are married, she will have to keep up the ideal for both of them, and she doesn't know whether she can. No, she can't, said Mr. Belmore. She says she could if she loved him enough, pursued Mrs. Belmore. It's the if that kills her. She says that when she wakes up in the morning that she feels as if she'd die if she didn't see him before night. And when she does see him, it's all a dreadful disappointment to her. She can't talk to him at all. She feels perfectly hard and stony. Then, the moment he's gone, she's crazy to have him back again. She cries herself thin over it. She's pretty bony anyway, said Mr. Belmore impartially. Even his appearance changes to her. 
she says sometimes he looks like a greek god so that she could go down on her knees to him and at other times once she happened to catch a glimpse of him in a horrid red sweater polishing his shoes and she said she didn't get over it for weeks he looked positively ordinary like some of the men you see in the trolley cars oh good gracious protested mr belmore feebly oh good gracious petty this is too much hush don't laugh so loud be quiet said his wife anxiously if wilson never looks like a greek god to her she's all right she loves him you can tell her so for me wilson here are we sitting up here like a pair of lovers and they hello the hall door opened and shut the piano lid closed simultaneously with a bang and there was a swirl of skirts again towards the staircase that scattered the guilty pair on the landing the hostess heaved a patient sigh they shall speak said mrs belmore when another hour had gone with the situation still unchanged her gentle voice had a note of determination i can't understand why he doesn't make her she's literally crying her eyes out because the whole day has been lost why didn't you send him into the parlor for a book as i told you to when i came up to take care of dorothy he wouldn't go he said he wasn't doing the kindergarten act any more hang it i don't blame him a man objects to being made a fool of before people and he's tired of it here he goes off again tomorrow for two weeks and she with no more heart than where is he now asked mrs belmore upstairs in my room smoking smoking i thought he'd promised her solemnly not to yes he did but he says he doesn't care a red apple he's going to have some comfort out of the day i've left him with a box of cigars good ones too he's having the time of his life oh said mrs belmore with the rapt expression of one who sees beyond the veil when she spoke it was with impressive slowness when you hear me come downstairs with edith and go in the parlor you wait a moment and then bring him down with his cigar into the library do you understand no said mr belmore oh herbert if she sees him smoking there's no time to lose for i have to get tea tonight when i call you leave him and come at once do you hear don't stop a minute just come before they get a chance to follow you bet i'll come said mr belmore like a bird to its i will really petty that he nearly knocked her down by his wildly tragic rush when she called from the back hall herbert please come at once i can't turn off the water was a mere detail they clung to each other in silent laughter behind the enshrouding portires not daring to move the footfall of the deserted edith was heard advancing from the front room to the library and her clear and solemn voice as of one actuated only by the lofty dictates of duty penetrated distinctly to the listeners alan wilson is it possible that you are smoking have you broken your promised word well there at it at last said mr belmore relapsing into a chair in the kitchen with a sigh of relief and drawing a folded newspaper from his pocket i wouldn't be in his shoes for a farm oh it will be all right now said mrs belmore serenely she added with some irrelevancy i've left the children to undress each other they've been so good it's been such a different day though from what we had planned it's too bad that you have to get the tea 
Oh, I don't mind that a bit. She had tucked up the silken skirt of her gown and was deftly measuring out coffee, after the swift preliminary shaking of the fire with which every woman takes possession of a kitchen, pouring the water into the coffee pot from the steaming kettle and then vibrating between the kitchen closet and the butler's pantry with the quick, capable movements of one who knows her ground thoroughly. Really, it isn't any trouble. Margaret leaves half of the things ready, you know. If you'll just lift down that dish of salad for me. And the cold chicken is beside it. I hate to ask you to get up, but... Thank you. How good the coffee smells. I know you always like the coffee I make. You bet I do, said Mr. Belmore with fervor. Say, Petty, you don't think you could come out now and take a look at the garden? I'm almost sure the peas are beginning to show. No, I'm afraid there isn't time. We'll have to give it up for this Sunday. She paused for a great effort. If you'd like to go by yourself, dear. Wouldn't you mind? She paused again, looking at him with her clear-eyed seriousness. I don't think I mind now, but I might afterwards. If he had hesitated, it was for a hardly appreciable second. And I don't want to go, he protested stoutly it wouldn't be the same thing at all without you everything is ready now said his wife though i do hate to disturb edith and alan i'll just run up and hear the children say their prayers before i put those things on the table if you would just take a look at the furnace it was the sentence mr belmore had been dreading and then you can come up and kiss the children good night mr belmore on his way up from stoking caught a glimpse projected from the parlour mirror through an aperture in the doorway which the portiers had left uncovered. The reflection was of a girl, with tear-stained face and closed eyes, her head upon a young man's shoulder, while his lips were touchingly pressed to her hair. The picture might have been called, After the Storm, the wreckage was so plainly apparent. As Mr. Belmore turned after ascending the flight of stairs, he came full in sight of another picture, spread out to view in the room at the end of the hall. He stood unseen in the shadow regarding it. His wife sat in a low chair near one of the two white beds. Little Dorothy's crib was in their room beyond. The three children were perched on the foot of the nearest bed, white-gowned, with rosy faces and neatly brushed hair. While he looked, the youngest child gave a bird-like flutter and jump and lighted on the floor, falling on her knees, with her bowed head in the mother's lap, her hands appraised. As she finished the murmured prayer, helped by the tender mother voice, she rose and stood to one side in infantine seriousness, while the next one spread her white plumes for the same flight, waiting afterwards in reverent line with the first as the third hovered down. It was plain to see from the mother's face that she had striven to put all earthly thoughts aside in the performance of this sacred office of ministering to innocence. Her eyes must be holy when her children looked up at her on their way to God. This was the little inner chapel, the sanctuary of home, where she was priestess by divine right. It would have been an indifferent man indeed who had not fallen upon his knees in spirit in company with this little household of faith in mute recognition of the love and peace and order that crowned his days. He kissed the laughing children as they clung to him before she turned down the light. 
when she came out of the room he was waiting for her he put his arm around her as he said with the darling tenderness that made her life come along old sweetness we've got to go down and stir up those lunatics again call that the happiest time of your life we know better than that don't we petty i'll tell you what it is i'll go to church with you next sunday if you say so end of chapter five